0: Hey there, John. How's it going?
1: Oh, hey, Ethan. It's Helen. Oh my
0: goodness. Helen. What? You're in New York City. Oh my God. Uh, This is Helen Zhang, co-founder of Intrigue Media. Wow. What are you doing here? Wow.
1: Fancy seeing you here, Ethan. Well, you know, you know, I've been uh, serving on a couple of panels this week and just in New York for the action like the rest of us.
0: Yeah. what, What do you what do you like about New York? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you both things. What's your favorite thing about New York and, and what uh, could you leave? What makes you want to leave New
1: York? Right. Uh, I mean, I think traffic is the answer for both those answers. Uh, questions, sorry. I <laughs> love the traffic because it makes me feel like I'm in a real city compared to DC. And then, of course, I hate the traffic <laughs> when you're like stuck behind some motorcade and it's like the leader of insert country <laughs> trying to roar down, you know, midtown somewhere.
0: Beautifully said. If, if we feel stifled by the traffic, imagine how... The locals feel so sorry locals
1: but intrigue really just gets to get needs to get like a helicopter or something right I think that's the, that's it. a key takeaway here
0: yeah exactly so well, like you said you've been in New York this week serving on some panels uh, right the rest of us have just been observers to the action you've really been taking part in it so so what have you been speaking about yeah
1: well i mean i've been on some panels as well as some sideline events which i think you know in some ways like the sideline events are really where the action is outside of the sort of main players of like the zoo as they call it right like down in the un uh, ga or the headquarters so i've been speaking a lot about ai and tech and geopolitics um as well as how tech can enhance the future of democracy uh, i've spoken to some religious groups about how we can harness uh, Religious funds for religious uh, leaders to sort of corral action to um, a lot of these issues we're all facing, like climate change. And then finally, we have been chatting to also like family foundations around the world, just like huge uh, donors uh, of private money, basically, and how they can contribute to this conversation. So really, I've just I'm just here for the action, Ethan. <laughs> just here to take it all in. Yeah. And, and of course, uh, yeah. Sorry, I should also mention I have also been to one uh, official UNGA sidelines event, which is also one how to regulate. AI in the future and how the UN can have a role in doing that and what that might look like.
0: That's awesome. Well, I want to come back to the tech stuff, but I do want to pause on the sideline events because unless you've been to New York during UNGA week before, which I have not, uh, you might not realize I didn't. How many events go on outside the UN grounds? I mean, wh- why are these important?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, is that, yeah, <laughs> they're important because I think that's in some ways really where you can move the needle on these key issues because you're getting the stakeholders who are not beholden to like their country's talking points who are able to sort of mobilize funds at their disposal most of the time to kind of be targeted in addressing certain issues, whether that's a certain issue on topic, right? The thematic um, thing this week was like climate and thinking about sustainability. And so you have people who are in all parts of that industry uh, coming together to to resolve or like to talk about ways of like resolving these issues, right, outside of the climate or UN climate framework. And it's important also because I think sometimes what's said behind the doors or like not in front of the UN General Assembly to the public is often more important in terms of actually moving things along. So that and also I guess people just love like private convenings, right? People really, really dine out on this stuff. Um, And it's something that, you know, exclusivity kind of breeds uh, a sense of self-importance as well as sort of like access and power and like all of the other things that come around the sidelines of a big gathering like the UNG.
0: Yay. Yeah, I mean, our, our colleague Anya was lucky to go inside of the the Clinton Global Initiative Forum this week. Those tickets ran twenty thousand dollars. Helen, we did not pay for the tickets to go in. We were very lucky to get tickets. <laughs> no, <laughs> check check the uh, entry bank account. But yeah. there was Matt Damon there. Uh, the Clintons were both there. Janet Yellen. So big speakers come to these events, right? I mean, it's the diplomats flood the UN and. Everyone else goes outside.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love that you actually started off with Matt and the, he took precedence over the Clintons <laughs> and other, you know, key official. But I think that in some ways it's like how the US and the power structures of the uh, financial elite and the people who are throwing money behind these um, global problems, that that's how it is, right? They can harness their star power or sort of actual power or like um, financial powers to sort of really try and move, um, change things on the issue. Uh, but then I think at the same time, right, you have that sort of real elite or philanthropic elite, or whatever it might be. But they then kind of crowd out the the rest of us, right? I think Anya was probably the youngest person at the Clinton Global Initiative by about four decades. Um, And so, you know, there's not really a representation of youth at these gatherings sometimes, or if it is, and it's certainly in the minority. Uh, So I do think that, you know, representation at these uh, bigger kind of like big headline events can be very limited.
0: Yeah, that's why we saw so many young people flooding the streets earlier in the week on Sunday to participate in climate protests because I think a lot of the times they don't feel like their voices are heard inside the rooms where it happens.
1: That's exactly right. I think often you know, this the global elite, and I keep throwing that term around, but it really does feel like that. You forget that there's um, a profession of like international professionals or international bureaucrats who are in some ways um, speaking a certain language and um, conducting business in a certain way that probably doesn't translate uh, to people who are outside of that system, right? And it can be very difficult to kind of communicate that to a mass audience. And hence the people's kind of Question about the relevance of the UN and whether it's right for and mm. for getting problems like these solved.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So I want to return to the topic of some of your panels this week because AI and tech issues, I think, really burst onto the scene at this year's UNGA in a way that we haven't really seen in UNGA's past. I mean, remember, ChatGPT was only released, it's hard to believe, it was only released in November last year. So here's what... Good Lord, uh, yeah. (laughs) Feels like a lifetime. Here's what Secretary General Antonio Guterres said about AI in his opening address on Tuesday. And yes, he's speaking through a translator.
2: We must also face up to the looming threats posed to human rights by new technologies. Generative artificial intelligence holds much promise, but it may also lead us across a Rubicon and into more danger than we can control. When I mentioned Artificial Intelligence in my General Assembly speech in 2017, only two other leaders even uttered the term. Now, AI is on everyone's lips, a subject of both awe and fear. Even some of those who developed generative AI are calling for greater regulation. But many of the dangers of digital technology are not looming on the horizon, they are here.
0: So, Helen, what do you make of this? big focus on big tech issues.
1: Mm. I mean, this was a bit of an I told you so moment by Guterres as well, right? Saying like, hey, it was like trying to raise the alarm back in 2017 that we should be thinking about how to regulate tech. And only two other people were thinking about this as well, or two other state leaders. Um, and, I, you know, I, I agree with him. I think his, his remarks might be a little bit stock standard and perfunctory, but I do agree that, you know, there needs to be a broader consensus on or thinking by nation states on how to regulate AI um, and broader... You know emerging technologies. However, you think about how long it has taken the UN to come to any consensus on previous, you know, big technological issues like how to regulate the internet or how to regulate sort of um, cyber warfare or cyber attacks in uh, in the sort of confines of the UN framework. Um, And I really think that that's going to be a challenge for the UN because fundamentally the technology of AI and the technology that sort of like powers AI, like large language models, is. Is not really something that the UN or the system has seen before or the international system has seen before. It's different in scale, it moves much faster, it's much easier to replicate, um, and it's much uh, has the ability to have a much um, larger systemic impact on people around the world. And so by virtue of that, in some ways, AI is the winner in all this because it's moving faster than any other country in developing it, as well as let alone any, you know, Governing bodies, whether that's regional or international, in being able to regulate and formulate a policy around it. So, good luck to Guterres, I say, uh, but I think it's going to be tough. I think, as we saw tonight, we went to a UN uh, GA or UN General Assembly sideline event where the UN tech envoy, like what a cool name, uh, tech cool title, uh, Amandeep Gill was talking about this. And that was very much a sort of you know, we need to create an advisory body, help. What was? What's that going to look like, right? So I th- I really do think that even though they've got best intentions, it's going to take at least a, a year or two. And if we saw what ChatGPT is able to do in the last few months, I, I dare not to think about what it's going to do in the next uh, couple of years while they figure out the regulation and how the UN might play a role.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a sense, maybe fear is a better word, that the international community hasn't yet agreed to, you know, rules of the road. Like, those that exist for nuclear weapons. I mean, if you are uh, a a sovereign nation, you cannot just pursue nuclear weapons without the approval of the international community. That's not true of really powerful tech like AI, and large language models that have the power to shape global politics for generations to come. Uh, One of the big tech leaders, or or leaders rather, in, in tech regulation is the European Union. And I got a chance to ask the, the president of the European Council, Charles Michel, the second highest ranking EU, EU oh. official. Uh, uh, Ethan. What's that? Did I mispronounce You're it?
1: You're getting all the good interviews. No, no, <laughs> look at you. Look at you in there just barging into doors, getting interviews with the big wigs. Go on, I, I'm sorry I, to, to I charged
0: him. I charged him at full speed. <laughs> uh, so here's what I asked him during his press conference on Wednesday afternoon. The EU has been a leader on AI and digital regulation. Are you finding partners here that are willing to work with you on that?
2: About artificial intelligence. About artificial intelligence. I, I, you know, I, I think that the, the EU is a, a super regulatory power, and I think that we have a responsibility to make sure that uh, uh, the technology uh, is at the service of the humanity. It's extremely important to make clear that uh, there, there should be some principles, there should be some rules, and we need a certain level of uh, of convergence uh, to to make sure that we avoid a dangerous technological competition, especially uh, especially in the field of uh, defence and especially in the field of security. It's also very important to find the balance between uh, uh, innovation, which is important to support the economic growth, to support the improvement of the conditions of life uh, across the world, but also respect for privacy, respect for the fundamental principles. And I think that if there is one region in the world with a special responsibility to work uh, uh, for, for reaching this uh, uh, delicate balance, this is the EU. And that's why you're absolutely right that uh, for us it's an important political debate, it's an important democratic uh, debate, and we intend to assume our responsibilities and international that level of question And everyone
0: agrees. Everyone agrees with you on that. I mean, there's a first mover's advantage here. Whoever innovates faster tends to win. Is are people willing to
2: slow down their innovation? I, I think that the the question the is less uh, to slow down the innovation. The question is more to uh, speed up uh, the regulation. And it's also very interesting to observe that even uh, the, the businesses uh, active in this sector uh, they are advocating for rules for principles, which I think uh, is something which is uh, needed indeed. So let me ask you the, the question mm-hmm. I asked
0: him. Mm-hmm. Does it seem like countries are coalescing around a, share vi- a shared vision for our digital future?
1: Uh, I mean, no is a short answer, right? I think in some ways the digital future and what we have now um, is really only amplified by AI as a technology. So I think whatever we see in terms of our national regulations towards internet or towards sort of online content, uh, towards privacy, um, that is already fractured. So I think it's going to be even harder to try and get everybody on the same page with AI regulation. Uh, but I do love his line about EU being a super regulator right like what what a cool brand what a cool brand to to carry that Um, do do you
0: mind uh do you mind trying to pronounce that the way he did your best char on impression
1: i'm no of course i'm gonna get canceled i get i will get canceled so <laughs> easily uh so super regulator um, there you go that was incorrect and sure but anyway I, I do take his point because i do think that the eu um in the absence of you know u.s regulations on certain things like privacy and stuff They've been really forward-leaning with like the Digital Markets Act, Digital Services Act, and regulating both privacy and online content. So I think they are a world leader in that. And they've tried to put forward an EU AI regulation. Um, But of course, the nature of AI is that this sort of technology and also the hardware and the components that go into making the technology is fundamentally a global transnational issue. So even if the EU has a good starting point on this, we still need the international, well, the global community to get behind it. So we can all be on the same page about what AI principles look like, what responsible AI looks like, um, and how we can govern the sort of, you know, industries that make it. But. So much of that, of course, has been taken over by the US-China tit-for-tat uh, AI clampdown through either restricting technology exports or restricting like critical minerals exports.
0: Helen, don't uh, quit your day job of being an Australian to become a Belgian anytime soon, with all due respect. <laughs> uh, so, so,
1: that was your takeaway from all of that. I love it. Right. I tuned out the rest. Noted. So. Right, right, uh, right.
0: Helen, there's going to be a, a big focus on AI during Thursday's Angus session as the world prepares for what's being called. The quote summit of the future next year. Think SDG summit, but in 2024. What What's one question about tech that you'd want to ask if you could get in the room with uh, a world leader of your choosing?
1: I mean, obviously, I would ask them uh, what is their top hit when they Google their name, right? <laughs> they Google their name and something naughty. No, I mean, <laughs> oh God. but no, I, I think I would ask world leaders uh, to think about. You know, tech is how do we think tech can benefit um, society? Because I really do think that the current framing of all these discussions is all around the challenges and the risks and the, like, negativities, negative externalities, if you will, about what tech can bring. But a lot of the benefits of just AI, for example, is has been really underdone or undercooked in that debate. And actually, there's actually there's a, probably a split there. There's the policy world that really focuses on all the negative aspects and sort of the risks and um, the kind of guardrails that should be put up, which of course is something that regulators, lawmakers, policymakers should think about. But on the industry side and commercial side, everyone's been thinking about, well, how do we get ahead of the race and how do we get um, create new sort of things and like build things and you know, what is it Silicon Valley's line of like... Uh, yeah, fast and, break, fast and things. break things, yeah. Correct, yeah. So I think on the industry side, there's been more focus on that and the wins of AI. So I, I would personally love for policymakers to think more about... Um, Finding like cherry picking, if you will, these like really big wins that AI can deliver for society, and amplifying that, whether that's sort of like bringing more um, like funding that industry more, or sort of giving more support mechanisms, and thinking of ways to like move the kind of guardrails off so that they can be um, there's more benefits that can be delivered to society. Um, that's a really boring answer, Ethan. But that's probably what I think I would I would ask them outside of the googling themselves question. That's a
0: great. That's a great question. I'm not sure you'd be able to get them to sit still for that long. But <laughs> <fair> <laughs> credit to you if you can. Uh, Helen, this was a lot of fun. I'll see you back in D.C.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Ethan.